0: this week on a lively experiment a year like no other before we put 2020 in the rear view mirror a look back our all-star panel is here to look at what they predicted would happen this year and offer up some predictions for 2021.
1: a lively experiment is generously underwritten by
2: for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face rhode islanders I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.
0: Joining us as they do every year, Maureen Moakley, retired URI political science professor, corporate communications consultant and former TV news anchor Dave Lehman, Ian Donis, political reporter for the Publix Radio, and Brown University political science professor Wendy Schiller. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special Year in Review edition of Lively Experiment. It's an annual tradition for us where we get to look at the highs and the lows and some unique moments in Rhode Island, plus unsung heroes during this past year in a year that none of us could have predicted 12 months ago. Let's begin with no further ado. Let's go to uh, top local story. Maureen, let's begin with you. What is your top local story for 2020?
3: My top local story for 2020 is the success of women in leadership. Uh, After you talking about the COVID uh, protocols and seeing the governor week after week up there talking about briefing you on what was happening, joined by Director Scott Alexander, and occasionally by uh, Commissioner of Education Infante Green, and you really got the sense that People were, women were being capable and having excellent opportunities for leadership. It was very impressive. And I think it spoke to changing perceptions about what women can do. And the, and the data suggests this, because when I did some research on the governor early in her term, there was a huge gender gap between uh, women's approval for the governor and men's approval. New polls now show that that gap has gone that you may disagree or agree with the governor, but in fact, um, it's about the same. In other words, there's no difference between approval ratings for men and approval ratings for women. So in a sense, this COVID experience has won people over. And I think given the perception that women are really capable, and we see that in the election because there's parity in the Senate. uh, There's a lot of women coming into the state legislature and in other positions. So I would say for 2020 in Rhode Island, it was the year of the women in political leadership.
2: Great, Ian, what do you have for your top local story? In a slightly similar way to Maureen, my top story is Governor Raimondo's time in the spotlight. I think this is going to be a legacy year for the governor, in that she has offered steady leadership, generally attracting praise during the pandemic. Certainly, it's a very difficult situation. There always there always going to be some legitimate criticism, and some people who are unhappy. There's a lot of economic hurt out there and it's just a very tough and ongoing situation. But as we've seen in polling, her approval rating has gone way up this year. Generally, she has been good in her tone in describing things and trying to encourage the state to go in a positive direction. She has remade the state Supreme Court with a female majority. That's another legacy move. And it's uh, beneficial for her future political outlook in Rhode Island that her sometimes rival, House Speaker Nicholas Mattiello, is on the way out. And on the way in is Joe Shikarchi, who managed her 2010 treasurer campaign as treasurer. Of course, she remains a topic of ongoing speculation as a possible addition to the Biden administration. And even if that does not happen soon, it could happen after she leaves office in two years. So it's been a a big year for Governor Raimondo. Okay, Wendy, what do you have for the top local story?
4: Top local story to me is what COVID has revealed in a good way about Rhode Island and then of some concern about Rhode Island And when I think about that, I think about the economy in Rhode Island. And some sectors have survived. And some sectors, as we know, are really hurting, particularly the restaurant industry, the travel industry, the tourism industry. And this is something we rely on, like a lot of other states. But as we see in the pandemic, we are especially vulnerable in this area. And so thinking about really continuing to try to diversify the Rhode Island economy, bring in steady jobs that are not necessarily as subject, to the pan, a pandemic or another national crisis is something that's been revealed about Rhode Island. The, the good news, I think, story about Rhode Island is in general, we started wearing masks early. Uh, there were some places that didn't have a lot of COVID, and maybe they didn't have to wear masks as, as frequently as those in, in higher concentration areas. But Rhode Islanders stepped up, they stayed home, they wore masks, they continue to do that. We've had some spikes, but in general, we've shown what small New England governance can produce. When people come together, so I think that's that's my biggest story.
0: Great, Dave. What do you have for the top local story?
1: Actually, uh, the, 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 it was a competition between uh, the House Speaker losing his job uh, at the polls uh, and uh, and the COVID. And I think uh, I'm going to choose really the COVID aspect of this because the economic impact of COVID has really been severe on Rhode Island. Uh, I'm kind of I took some focus on on tourism and and the visitor economy, which is probably our fifth largest part of the economy. Uh, 13% of our jobs are linked to it. 84,000 people rely directly on the hospitality industry, the tourism industry and so forth. And there's kind of a, a difference between, let's say Providence and the rest of Providence Warwick and let's say the uh, tourism economy in Newport uh, in the area where I live. You've got <clears throat> You've got Providence which is suffering probably more severely and will take more time to come back from it because they rely so much on the convention business. Conventions take years to plan. Uh, One of the people I talked to said, one of the problems with conventions is, it's not just getting them back once this is over, but also the fact that a lot of people who would be coming to those conventions aren't even sure if they'll have a job when it's all over. So we have a major, major issue in Providence with the conventions. Newport, the tourism, actually, this may be a surprise to some people, the tourism and the hospitality industry down here has actually been not quite as severe as they thought, even though it's been severe. It has not been as severe, and they're probably gonna come back faster than than Providence because Providence is a convention city and a tourism city. Here, we benefited over the summer because of the uh, area uh, economy, if you will. Massachusetts people coming in help offset some of the losses. They actually had a little better summer than they thought, but it's gonna take a couple of years to come back and it may take four years for the state to come back to the, uh, 2019, which is the best measure uh, because that was such a great year overall for the state and for the Newport economy.
0: All right. Let's go to top national story. Let's keep this tight if we can. Ian, what is your top national story?
2: Jim, there used to be an expression, you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. And now we have a situation in America where we no longer have widespread agreement about facts. In large uh, measure, this is due to the approach that President Trump took after the election, where you have more than 100 Republican members of Congress signing on to his Byzantine and quixotic effort to challenge the outcome of an election that was very clear, you know, the Electoral College came down the same way it did in 2016 when Trump called it a landslide in his favor. And you have some people, you know, you have many citizens who are boondoggled by his mistruths and misinformation, thousands of them gathering on a recent weekend in Washington, D.C., some with a propensity toward violence. So this is a very troubling development. Okay, Wendy, what do you have for the top national story?
4: Uh, the, the development of the vaccine for COVID, the American companies, obviously in cooperation internationally in terms of research, uh, and the fact that. Uh, we, as a country, uh, under you know, Trump's uh, uh, leadership on COVID, obviously, we can talk a lot about that. But in this one area, pushing the companies to develop the vaccine, expediting approval procedures, getting a distribution uh, situ- system in place, whether that distribution system works as well as we hope, we don't know. But the vaccine, uh, sort of American development, R&D. And also, um, there are a lot of uh, people who are of immigrant origin who were part of developing that vaccine and who are now uh, instrumental in distributing it. And I think we have to really re- recognize that the story of the vaccine is an American story. It's also an American story of the way we've opened our borders over the last 68 years to immigration and that the children and grandchildren of immigrants then contribute to American society. And I think that's an important thing to, to note as we go forward, hopefully, in the further um, distribution of the vaccine.
0: Dave, what do you have for a top national story?
1: Actually, uh, my uh, top national story is somewhat similar to, uh, to what Ian said. Uh, I call it the, uh, the death of truth and trust in American politics. Uh, we've had, I think, one of the greatest liars in, on the American scene is our president. Nobody trusts him. He changes his, uh, his opinion daily, sometimes on things, denies things he has said. Uh, he has alienated even people in his own party here as we come up to the, the last days of his administration. Uh, The Washington Post has documented uh, something like 23,000 lies he has told since becoming president. And we have accepted, pardon me, we've accepted the fact that you don't have to tell the truth anymore. You know, in politics, and we all know this, having covered politics uh, for much of our career, that you always always know that politicians are going to tell the best story they can out of a bad situation. Uh, It's sort of like advertising. They're going to tell you the best that they have. But there was always been this sense that either you tell the truth because you really should, or you tell the truth because you know if you get caught, you're going to be embarrassed and you're going to wish you hadn't done it. That's out the window. People accept the alternative facts, which means you're know, not really facts at all, but they're, the way you view it. So I think the fact that uh, we've had such a terrible run, I think, with this president and telling the truth, it's becoming ex- pardon me, it's become accepted now that The truth is what you want to say it is, and even though it really isn't the truth, and that's had a devastating impact, I think, uh, going forward, everything down to kids in school. uh, The terrible lessons of this administration and truth, I think, are absolutely stunning, and I don't know how soon we're going to be able to come back from that. Hopefully, Joe Biden uh, will bring us back to a respect for truth and honesty. Okay,
0: Maureen, what do you have for your top local story this year? Top well, no, national story. Sorry, go ahead.
3: National story, right. Well, Wendy and uh, picked on some of the things I was going to say, but let me add this. This has been a year of racial reckoning, and I think that's been a really positive thing. I mean, the protests and the demonstration, we have been stunned by the awareness of the injustices, particularly for Blacks and Indigenous people. And while there have been missteps on either side, in terms of making a case of how we should go forward, clearly things will never be the same. There's a movement now and there's, there's opportunities for uh, making good on some of the promises that we've made to these people. And it may be slow, but again, it's very important. It's changed our consciousness, and I don't think we'll ever be going back.
0: Okay, biggest winner, biggest loser. This can be local or national. Wendy, let's begin with you. Biggest winner, biggest loser.
4: The biggest winner to me is the National Republican Party. Uh, You'd think losing the presidency might hurt them, but in fact, they did extraordinarily well in 2020. They uh, picked up or maintained their advantage in state legislatures. They're about 1,000 seats above the Democrats. They maintained their advantage in governorships, which is about a third more governorships. And they clearly maintained, they clearly maybe maintained the Senate control. And they picked up a number of seats in the House of Representatives, making it quite possible for them to take the House back in 2022. And in all of that, they supported Donald Trump every step of the way in the last four years. Absolutely 100% supported Donald Trump. Donald Trump lost by more than, I think, 7 million votes now popularly and about 4 percentage points uh, in the presidential election. And they kept their seats. And I think that's pretty phenomenal. And I, that to me makes them the biggest winner.
0: Do you have a loser, biggest loser?
4: Uh, locally, I'd have to say the biggest loser is Nicholas Mattiello as speaker uh, uh, in losing his seat. I think we can all debate his, his record. However, I think he genuinely wanted to improve the economic condition of Rhode Island and worked hard and uh, lost his seat. And so I think that for me, uh, 2020, he was the biggest loser.
1: Okay, Dave, biggest winner, biggest loser. Biggest winner, no question in my mind, Joe Biden, truly the comeback kid. Uh, I have some disagreements with him on various things, but uh, you have to admire the fact that he was down and out, had uh, no chance for a comeback until South Carolina. And he made a comeback. And as it turns out, he played it smart by embracing the truth, as I mentioned before, about COVID, supporting doctors and scientists. Uh, looking more presidential than Donald Trump and becoming really, I think, a calming influence as Trump grabbed the airtime, uh, looking foolish at times for what he was saying and what he was doing. So I think Joe Biden, uh, now, of course, he's got a got a fairly high bar now to, to meet in some ways because he has portrayed himself as so different. So I think the fact that you know, he was down and out and South Carolina brought him back and uh, winning by 7 million votes was uh, I think quite astonishing. Some of us thought he wasn't gonna make it at all. Uh, the biggest loser uh, has to be, in, in my view, Nick Mattiello. He uh, holds holds a position, still does until January as the most powerful politician in the state, more powerful than the governor. And uh, it's very rare, and perhaps never before, I'm not sure never is right, but he uh, we've not seen a House Speaker lose a job the way he did, and uh, it was really a bad year for him.
0: Okay, Maureen, biggest winner, biggest loser?
3: Okay, my biggest winner are generally the American people and as the recipients of the COVID relief program. Uh, we know that there's billions of dollars that have been administered to people with checks and direct aid. Now we can debate and we can say it wasn't enough, it was too late, it didn't hit the right targets, but the fact of the matter is there's a change in paradigm in the sense that massive amounts of money were given to people to help themselves. And it's a new role for government. People understand now that in a situation like this, you need government to act. And when you look at the Democrats and the Republicans, There's no debate about sending out checks. The debate is how much. So there's been a real transformation in what we think about government. And I think the COVID situation has brought this on. I know that even in the local assembly, the Republicans want more seats for DCYF, more positions. So there's been a real paradigm shift in how we see government and what we expect of government. And I think that's something that's going to last. Okay, Ian, do you have, I'm sorry, go ahead, Maureen. The biggest losers, and I want to make, this is a tragic one, this isn't, uh, this is important. It's so sad to think about who we have lost in the state of Rhode Island in nursing homes. Uh, We've lost 50% of the deaths in nursing homes. It's so tragic for those people and also for uh, the families that couldn't get to them. It's a serious loss, and I think we should acknowledge it.
2: Okay, Uh, Ian, biggest winner, biggest loser? Biggest loser, Speaker Mattiello, for the reasons outlined by Wendy and Dave. Biggest winners, I have two, Barbara and Fenton-Fung, a rare bright spot for Republicans in Rhode Island. She slayed the Speaker, and I think she'll be a person to watch in the legislature. Also, Senator-elect Cynthia Mendez of East Providence. She staged a big upset by defeating Senate Finance Chairman Billy Conley kind of exemplifying the progressive energy and how we're going to see the legislature moving to the left on some progressive issues she ran a really aggressive grassroots campaign to get out and touch voters and speak to voters in a way that conley didn't shows that politics remains a contact sport in rhode island
0: okay quickly on this only in rhode island moment dave you have an only in rhode island moment
1: Oh, yeah, I've got, uh, I'll pick up right up on what you were talking about. Uh, uh, Senator Conley, uh, he, here's a, a, a politician who's been around for a long time, and he, uh, he went down to a horrible defeat uh, in, in his election. It should have been a no-brainer. He should have, he coasted through. He's done that in other elections, has been unopposed very often, and he lost his seat. Okay,
0: let's go to Maureen. Do you have an only in Rhode Island moment?
3: Only in Rhode Island moment. I think we have a visual, but I'm not sure you'll be able to put it up. But it's about a stand, a lemon store in East Providence. It's called Mr. Lemon, and it's a comp- competitor of Dells. And it's in an old Italian neighborhood that has since become multicultural and multiethnic. And people line up around the block for you know for they wait in line in terms of COVID and part. This is a second generation operation. It was started by an Italian family. Uh, When they get up to the window, they ask them how they are. They have 7,000 followers on Facebook. It's a really lovely neighborhood phenomena, only in Rhode Island. And I also have to add, again, my favorite, the blue bug. He is up there.
0: (laughs) With his mask.
3: And he's got a mask on. All right. All
0: right, quickly, Ian, do you have an only in Rhode Island moment?
2: Yes, my only in Rhode Island moment was when uh, Rhode Island Democratic Chairman Joe McNamara branded Rhode Island the Calamari comeback state during the Democratic National Convention. He was joined by a guy who looked like the Calamari ninja, who subsequently <laughs> revealed he was an undecided voter, not exactly the way uh, Chairman De- uh, McNamara wanted it to play out. That's funny. Wendy, what do you have for your only in Rhode Island moment? That's
4: it. Ian did a beautiful job, that's on you, and very eloquent. Out.
0: Oh, Oh, that, that is great. <laughs> All right. Enough said. I like that. Nice and tight and bright. Folks, the time of year where we get to re-roll the tape from last year. Let's see what your prediction was for 2020, and then we'll get your prediction for 2021. Marine. let's begin with you. Roll the tape on Marine.
3: Okay. So uh, my predictions for this coming year, and they're not, you know, they're not that prescient. But anyway, I think that as a result of this, there's going to be the most heated, nasty national campaign that you can imagine. And we're going to have to suffer through that with tremendous divisiveness. And I don't know how it's going to work out. And at the local level, I want to say, I think we also are going to have a really tough, divisive legislative session. I think progressives are you know, ready to challenge people. There are already a lot of other groups that are going to take on established and really effective legislators. And the other thing about this is I think the governor is going to be much more aggressive in terms of what she wants and how she's going to do it. There's one thing we have to keep in mind. She is not running again, and they are. And that gives her a certain amount of leverage. And she's also talked about the fact about, I think, for gun control, I think that's an issue she's going to step out on. And she may some, spend some money supporting candidates. So was, those are my two issues, uh, my two predictions.
0: Well, we have it all next on year. tape and we will see next year. Well, and here we are next year. Maureen, you're about 50-50, a nasty campaign, but, you know, the legislative session never really got going. What do you have for your prediction for 2021?
3: Okay, my predictions for 2021 is gonna there's gonna be a slow and steady economic recovery. I expect by June things are going to be back, sort of back to normal, in the sense that, as Wendy has indicated, the progress with this, this vaccine is really encouraging. I also think that will remain a force, but he will not he will be marginalized once the new administration comes in. He'll be there and he'll be a presence. But I think it's hopeful that um, he'll be put to the side and won't be the force that people expect he will be. So those my, and the other thing is, I expect a very productive legislative session. I think the governor can work well with Joe Shikarchi. I have great hopes for him. I think he has the capacity to be a really effective leader. And I think this year the legislature is going to be, there'll be, there'll be arguments on the margin, but nonetheless, I think they're gonna get along and get things done.
0: All right, Ian, let's see what you predicted for 2020 and then we'll get your predictions for 2021.
2: My prediction for 2020, beyond the budget and potentially the IGT Twin River issue, not much of substance is going to happen at the legislature. It is an election year. Progressives are energized, as Maureen said. And my other prediction is that we're going to see more women uh, lawmakers elected in 2020. Right now, women make up about a third of the General Assembly. I think you'll see those numbers tick up.
0: And that is true. Uh, Women getting and a lot of progressives. Ian, what do you have for 2021?
2: I wouldn't be surprised if 2021 is the year when the legislature legalizes recreational marijuana as part of a kind of convergence of progressive issues that work out to help the budget. And I think with more progressives, more women lawmakers having one election to the General Assembly, we'll see more energy on the progressive side for, on the, for certain policy issues.
0: Great. Okay, let's get Wendy's prediction for 2020, and then we'll see what she has for next year.
4: For 2020, my prediction is that President Trump will flirt with the idea of replacing Mike Pence on the ticket, depending on how things look for him in some of these swing states, and either choose Nikki Haley, (laughs) if he replaces Pence, Nikki Haley, or Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows, the leader of the Freedom Caucus, former leader of the Freedom Caucus, who just announced he's not running for re-election in 2020 from the House. He's from North Carolina. Mm -hmm. North Carolina is an incredibly important swing state. And if Trump thinks he can't win North Carolina or concedes that he can't win North Carolina, or he looks like he's in trouble, I think he makes a change at the top of the VP ticket.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of speculation about that. Of course, Mark Meadows went on to be the chief of staff. Wendy, what do you have for uh, 2021?
4: Um, I thought I was going to get away with not having to deal with my predictions from last year. (laughs) Uh, uh, for 2021, I agree that the legislature in Rhode Island, I think, will move more coherently and smoothly in a progressive direction. And the opposite will happen to the Democrats and the United States House of Representatives. I think it's with such an incredibly tight margin right now. It's five seats. If uh, we have a confirmation for Secretary of Interior, it would be four seat margin, give or take. That's incredibly precarious. The progressives led by AOC don't show any signs of slowing down. And I think it's going to cause a considerable amount of problems for the Democrats. I think they're going to be fractured. And I I wonder if this is going to start to really begin to hurt them going into the 22 midterm elections.
0: We shall see. Dave, you got a bad cleanup. Let's see what Dave predicted for
1: 2020. Uh, 2020, my prediction for 2020 is that I think that we talked a little bit about the uh, the hospital situation in Rhode Island where Care New England and uh, Lifespan can't quite get on the same page f- with a merger. I think necessity this year is going to be that there will be merger talks resuming even though there have been some hard feelings as we end 2019. I think you're going to see merger talks continue. I won't go so far out on the limb (laughs) to say that there will be a merger by next year, but I think you're going to see it's in their best interest, I think, economically. As we sit here, Lifespan just recorded $35 million shortfall. Uh, That used to be the problem with Care New England. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have to work something out. I think this may be the year they will, and the governor is going to be in, in on this as well.
0: Isn't it interesting, Dave, how the pandemic really brought them back together at the end of the year? What do you have for 2021?
1: You'll be very pleased. I'll be very brief. Uh, I think the uh, Hope Point Tower, the Fane Tower, the 46-story uh, tall building, I think is in very serious trouble. Uh, I think they've, they've been plagued by delays. It's been four years ago since they they produced, uh, produced the idea there have been uh, deadlines missed. I think if you throw in a recession, I really wonder if this, if this tower is going to become a reality. And I think this may be the year where we're going to have some clarity because there's an awful lot of tension over that. And there's a lawsuit that says this is going to be an illegal project.
0: Well, I also wonder, Dave, with the, um, we have just about a minute left. I also wonder with that, with the economy changing and there's such uncertainty with the pandemic, what do you think that's going to play on it?
1: Well, that's the reason. I, I, that's one of the reasons I'm saying. I think the recession, uh, uh, locally and nationally, uh, they've ha- already had some financial issues. They've had to push back deadlines. They were fined. They paid the, a fine of about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is small money compared to this three hundred million dollar project. And again, this building is going to be the tallest building in Rhode Island and one of the taller ones in New England. So I, I think it's. I think it's. I think they're they're in some trouble there. And I don't have that on inside information. Just my point of view. All right, folks
0: my prediction is hopefully hopefully we'll be back in the studio to do this next year i'm hoping a year from now we'll be more back to normal hey listen if you didn't get enough of this show we're going to be going online right now if you go to ripbs.org lively you can see a couple of more topics that we didn't get into that's our bonus online coverage called Lively Extra. Thank you so much to our panel. As always, we enjoy doing this every year. Ian and Maureen and Wendy and Dave. And thank you for your loyalty to the show. We will be back here the first week of January as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great Christmas and New Year's.
1: Experiment is generously underwritten by.
2: For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.